Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. John chapter number 10, I'm going to begin reading, uh, kind of do a little skip around reading uh, here, uh, but we're going to try to make our way here through this chapter uh, tonight. Verse number nine, Jesus says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, shall go out, shall go in and out and find pasture. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Verse number 15, Jesus says, as the father knoweth me, even so know I the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Another sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. There shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore, doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. There was a division, therefore, again, among the Jews for these sayings. Many of them said he hath a devil and is mad. Not the first time we've heard that. Why hear ye him? Others said, these are not the words of him that hath the devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? For a little while tonight, I want to talk to you about God manifest. God manifest. Amen. And do want to say thank you to Mason and Mason. Amen. For Sunday and taking care of services. And then a big thank you uh, to the Mason clan and Sister Grace. Amen. That kind of manned my children on a very, very rigorous weekend for my daughter Mariah see in 2019 we planned to be preaching this Michigan district in 2020 and then that went and so they rescheduled it after that was canceled for this year and I never would have dreamed that that would have intersected with a busyness that would be going on in Mariah's life but that's just the way it was that was part and parcel why we flew to Michigan rather than drive to Michigan so we could be there for her for at least one night and still be up there and so I want to thank them because that was a very rigorous schedule. Those that were a part of that or have been a part of that ever understand. And so, uh, you know, Trevor sometimes being here and there can't be left alone. We could have if Mariah was home. She's big enough to take care of them both. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, I appreciate all of their, you know, navigating their schedules to accommodate their schedules. Amen. So wholeheartedly. And they did it with grace. Amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. I ended last week kind of leading into this somewhat as we discuss the shepherd sheep parable that's in John chapter number 10 and how Jesus follows that up to a certain degree doing what he is known to do in different places in scripture with parables. And that is give some explanation or explaining of the parable. And as I mentioned last week, though, I believe it even goes a little further than just explaining the parable because I believe Jesus, whenever he speaks to us, that he is the door of the sheepfold and that he is the good shepherd of the sheepfold. I believe we can understand that Jesus is relaying in saying that both his uh, human nature and his divine nature by these two primary things. In other words, Jesus being that God man, I believe can be illustrated in Jesus saying within the parable that he was both the good shepherd and the door that we find in the scripture. Refresh your memory of John 10 and verse number two, Jesus said, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Remember, when thieves and robbers try to enter the sheepfold, they do so by some other way instead of or besides the door. But the scripture implicitly says, or explicitly rather says, that the shepherd of the sheep enters in by the door. 
And Jesus will say to us that he is both the shepherd and the door. There are several Old Testament scriptures and passages that portray God as the shepherd of his people. We see this uh, theme over and over again in the Old Testament scriptures. Concerning God, the psalmist says this. You can find it in Psalms 95 and also in Psalms 100. But the psalmist says this, that we are the people, and it's speaking about God in the context in which this is written. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand, meaning we are, we are God's sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture. We see also in Ezekiel chapter number 34 and verses 30 and 31, the Bible says, thus shall they know that I, the Lord, their God am with them and that they, even the house of Israel are my people, saith the Lord God. And ye, my flock, God says, the flock of my pasture are men and I am your God, saith the Lord God. So in addition, though, in addition, the primary trait that we have in the parable, the primary trait that we have as a shepherd is not a description of his robe. It's not a description of his face or his appearance or any type of characteristic like that. The primary trait we have in the parable is his voice. In other words, in the parable, he's depicted in certain means and fashions of being totally unseen except we can hear his voice. There's no physical trait that's given concern him except being able to hear his voice. No physical characterization is mentioned. But the voice of the shepherd is mentioned. And it's underscored as being vitally important because it is the means and the way by which he leads his sheep. He leads them by his voice. The Old Testament scripture, again, something we see is that no man has seen God at any time. Even whenever Moses desired to see the glory of the Lord, the Lord placed him in the cleft of the rock, placed his hand over it, and the best that Moses could see is the hinder parts, if you will, the glory of the Lord. Because no man had seen the Lord uh, at any time, Scripture tells us. We also have that reaffirmed to us in the New Testament Scripture as well. So whenever Moses and the children of Israel uh, had come out of Egypt and they are gathering around uh, the Mount of Horeb, the Mount of God, the Bible says that the Lord met them there upon that mount to speak to them. And it was a mountain that darkness had covered it. Uh, It was lit with fire. There were clouds around about it. But there wasn't necessarily a person, but God was there, right? In Deuteronomy 4 and 12, this is what the scripture says in that setting. And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. Ye heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude. In other words, you did not see no form. You didn't see no image. God was speaking to you. You heard his words. It goes on to say only you heard a voice. You heard the voice, but there wasn't an image. There was not a form. John has already told us in his gospel, speaking of God, whenever he spoke to the lady at the well, that God is a spirit God is a spirit all right and so at that period in time God in his essence of who he is there is no form there is no image until we come to the New Testament scripture and the man Christ Jesus is born who is the image of the invisible God right and so we have this starting to uh, unfold even a little bit in John chapter number 10. Again, thus far in John, in John chapter number 1, he has told us that no man has seen God at any time. He has told us in John 4 that God is a spirit. Nonetheless, we have heard, tiptoeing through the Gospels, if you will, the voice of God, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so for me to convey to you tonight, as the parable was told, that the shepherd entered in the sheepfold by the door. If I said, which is true, according to the parable, the shepherd entered in the sheepfold by the door is similar to saying this, God entered humanity by the man Christ Jesus. All right? God was manifest in the flesh. Scripture tells us that he took upon him the form of a servant and he was in the likeness of men. 
It tells us also that he took not on himself the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, God, that, that, that divine came to mankind by the man Christ Jesus, that humanity, amen. Similarly, though, since God came to us by the man Christ Jesus, similarly, no man can get to God except through Christ Jesus. God was made known to us by Christ, but we can't get to God except through Christ. Huh? No man comes to the Father, he says, except by me. Amen. The reason being is that Jesus Christ is the door. He's the door that allows the shepherd to the sheepfold, and he's the door that allows the sheep to get to the shepherd. Amen. He is the door. And so the same door that gives the shepherd access Amen to the sheep to become a part, if you will, of the family. Amen. As God condescended from heaven and became a man among you and I in order to heal us, to die for us, to give himself for us. Likewise, we have access, amen, to him because of the man Christ Jesus. Because as the flesh of his body, amen, was torn open and blood came out, it allowed that veil in the temple also to rent from top to bottom. That now gave every man elevated all men to be a priest that they could boldly enter the throne room of grace that was only usually for the high priest now all men can because God became a man and that man Christ Jesus was the mediator between God and men the man the Bible says Christ Jesus amen and so the scripture says in John chapter 10 and verse number nine, so what I'm conveying to you tonight, this parable is more than just Jesus saying I'm the door and I'm, I'm the shepherd. I believe Jesus is conveying something that he's been trying to convey over and over again to these that were in disbelief that he was both God and man. Amen. I'm the shepherd and I'm the door. Amen. The shepherd that was oftentimes depicted in the Old Testament as God and the door that gives the shepherd access to the sheep or the sheep access to that God. He says in verse 9, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. Jesus is both again, the shepherd and the door. He is both God and man. He is Christ. By him, amen, the sheep enter and are saved. By him, the sheep enter and are saved. You can't get saved without Christ Jesus. Because without Christ Jesus, you have no blood for the remission of your sins. Spirit doesn't have that. Without Christ Jesus, you have no atoning work of Calvary. All right? But when the shepherd, hey man, became the door, then the door grants the sheep access. They can enter in and be saved. Not only are we saved, but we are safe. Amen. In the Lord. The Bible says in John 14 and verse number 6, Thomas is being spoken to by the Lord and being replied to by the Lord. Jesus says unto Thomas, he says, I am the way. This is what Jesus the door says. Right? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come unto the Father but by me. Right? Because if they come up any other way, they're a thief and a robber. He says, but I'm the door. If you're going to get to the Father, you're going to come by me. It's by me and through me. And so Jesus as the door, Jesus as the shepherd, the Bible says that he laid down his life for the sheep. And we looked last time that particularly whenever they were in those grazing pastures and not near a city, that the literal shepherd would lay down and become the gate to the fold of the sheep. So in one essence, Jesus as the shepherd could be seen as laying down his life in the terms of a literal laying down. 
if you will, for the purpose of the sheep. Again, keeping any foe from getting in and keeping any sheep from getting out in those enclosures in the field. All right, as the door and the shepherd, amen, Jesus Christ is functioning in those sense. But also we understand, according to God's word, that Jesus Christ laying down his life for the sheep just isn't in his stance as being the shepherd, but in his stance as being God manifest in the flesh that went to Calvary's hill. He laid down his life. Because all we always read the scripture and it's like, well, they apprehended him in the gar- garden and they took him with their staves and with their swords and he was put on trial and they put the nails through his hands and the crown of thorns upon him and they hoisted him out on the tree. And just through a very uh, cursory reading of the scripture, we're saying, you know, the Jews and the Gentiles and the Romans, we start naming all, all these people killed the Lord. They didn't kill the Lord. That's what it looked like on the surface, but he gave his life. They wouldn't have been able to do what he did if they didn't have a willing participant. Right? And so he laid down his life. Amen. In the sense that he gave it on the cross. What do we read in some of the closing hours on the cross? The Bible says he gave up the ghost. He said, Father, I commend my spirit into your hands. He gave it up. Nobody took it from him. I've always had it. I say issue called a little soapbox, if you will, when people talk about the spilt blood of Jesus. There was no spilt blood of Jesus. There was shed blood, but there wasn't spilt blood. Spilt blood indicates accident. There's nothing accidental about the blood that was shed on Calvary. It wasn't spilt. It was shed. That's purposeful. Amen. Amen. It was an act of his will. He laid down his, nobody took it from him. Amen. The shepherd, if you want to look at the shepherd and the door thing, of his own choosing would prostrate himself there before the gate. Amen. Before the opening of the enclosure for the purpose, if you will, the life of the sheep. And so Christ gave up the ghost on the cross. He laid down his life. And in many ways, resurrection was possible in part Because he didn't just decide to lay it down, but he knew when it was time to raise it back up too. He said, it's a a commandment I've been given to me from my father. I, I can lay it down and I can raise it up. I can become the door of the enclosure and I can get up in the morning when the sheep need to go out and find pasture. Amen. In order to sustain their life. So it's not about me just laying it down. It's about me getting back up. And I tell you what, I'm just as happy that he laid it down as I am that he got up. Because we would have a stunted story if he only laid it down. Amen? Amen. We have a stunted story of our life if he didn't take it back up. And so Jesus says then, note in verse number 16, he says that there are other sheep. Someone say other sheep. He said there are other sheep, he said, that I have, which are not of this fold, which are not of this fold, primarily, Lord is probably, probably uh, referring to the Gentiles because if you remember a common wording of Scripture in the Gospels is that whenever he initially came, he came, and this is the wording of the Scripture, he came for the lost sheep of Israel. That's the wording. I come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But Jesus is saying and letting them know that this thing isn't just going to be a Israelite fold. He says, but there are other sheep I have. He was already putting claim to them. He says, there are other sheep that I have that are not of this fold. They're not of this Israelite uh, descendant, if you will, of this heritage. He said, there's other sheep that, uh, that, that I have that are not of this fold. And he says, but what I'm going to do, notice what he says in scripture, I must also bring them in and look at it now and they shall hear my voice. This is good because what was good for the Israelite was good for the Gentile. They're both going to have to be led by the same voice. Their entrance into the fold are both of them by being obedient to the same voice. In other words, there wasn't a certain standard for the Israelite and a different standard for the Gentile. No, no, no. They both had to follow the same voice in order to have entrance. Amen. 
in order to have entrance into the fold. And he says, so I must bring them. He says, I, they're going to hear my voice. He had Samaritans. We've seen that already in John 4. He, he had Gentiles. In Acts 10, he's going to have the Cornelius of the Italian band, right? Amen. He's going to have Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter number 8, Right? Amen. He's going to have these uh, 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 of Ephesus that have been that have been disciples of John uh, in Acts chapter nineteen. We have all these different segments of people in society. He says, "Yes, when I first came, I was reaching out to Israel, but here's the thing: there's a lot of Israel that's rejected me." And he says, "And we're kicking this door open wide. I, it was obligated upon me to attempt them first. He said, but we're kicking this door open wide. There's other sheep that's not in this fold that I must bring in that when they hear my voice. Let me tell you, if we could even posture it like this, there's other sheep that are his that are not a part of the apostolic church as of yet. Amen. Amen. Someone's got to, he says, I'm going to bring them in. They're going to hear my voice. But here's the end of the matter. Here's the end of the matter. He said, ultimately, when it's all said and done, he said, there's going to be, look at verse 16, there's going to be one fold and one shepherd. So all roads may lead to Rome, but they don't all lead to one fold and one shepherd. Mm, someone say amen. We'll find in the New Testament scripture Speaking of those that are being baptized or those that are becoming a part of the solitary body of Christ, he says we'll find in there, there will be Greek and Jew. There'll be uncircumcised and circumcised. There'll be barbarian and Scythian. He said there'll be bond and free. There'll be all these different components that we'll see, but they're going to be one foe. And they're going to have one shepherd. Amen. One. Someone say one. One shepherd. They used to. They used to tell me. At least I think Dad used to say. He said anything that had two two heads is somewhat of a monster and a freak. That's the reason why if you ever hear anybody say, "Well, let's do this co-pastoring thing," it's kind of freakish. Kind of hard to have two heads in it. Well, glory. He says, "I'm going to. I'm going to bring those together." From every nation, tribe, tongue, I'm going to bring those together by my voice. And I'm going to be the sole shepherd over what would have otherwise been this mixed grouping of people. He said, but when it's all said and done, I'm just going to call them one thing, mine. Amen. Just going to call them one thing, mine. And so from these sayings that are going forth in the scripture, trying to keep mindful of time, from these sayings going forth in scripture, the people are again, or maybe still, we could say it, divided over who he is. Some are saying he has a devil. Chalk it up. You know, if Jesus keeping tally, he could keep how many times they called him a devil. Right? Said he's a devil because he's speaking things to their ears that sounds insane. Right? And that was common in New Testament scripture. If you spoke some things that were insane, people just marked you up as having a devil. Whew. If so, I've known a lot of devils in my time. <laughs> if, that's the only, if that's the only prerequisite for it, we've all probably flirted with it a little bit. <laughs> Amen. So some are saying he's a devil. Others are saying, no, I disagree. And they're kind of reasoning with the blind men, which chapter 10 is kind of birthed out of, if you remember. They're kind of reasoning along with him. Can a devil open blind eyes? I mean, we've just had this occurrence and this happening. Surely not. Now look, continuing in verse 22. Got to go. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. I want you to know there is a, there is a bit of a time gap between verse 21 and verse 22. Because we started back in like chapter number oh, 07. In the beginning of 07, it was the Feast of Tabernacles. Much and most of this has been still taking place in and around the temple. But now we have that there is the Feast of the Dedication and it was winter. Continuing on, verse 23. I got a lot of verses to read. Just kind of set the stage. And Jesus walked into the temple. In the temple, in the Solomon's porch, then came the Jews around about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? 
if thou be the Christ, which plainly is if thou be the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me, but you believe not because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life that they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I, we love this verse, I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Again, if he's keeping tally marks, this has happened quite often thus far in his life. Then they took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, many good works have I shewed you from my father. For which of those do you stone me? He said, what work are you stoning me for? And the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not. But for blasphemy and because that thou being a man makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are God's. If ye called them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Let me not go too much further. I'm getting into some other reading. Let me go and finish that out though. Say ye of whom the father have sanctified and sent into the world. Thou blasphemest because I said I am the son of God. So there is an elapse of time from verse 21 to verse 22. We were in and around the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles and shortly thereafter. But now we've come to the time of the Feast of Dedication as mentioned. And that's at least a month or a couple of months uh, spaced from the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, is everybody doing okay? Yeah. All right. The Feast of Dedication, or also known as the Festival of Lights, is a com commemoration really of a miracle that took place between the two Testaments. And 160 years or so before Christ was born, and we, we talked about this probably all the way back in our study of the book of Daniel days. So I know you probably have that somewhere in your cranium. It's just covered up with a bunch of stuff. But 160 years before the birth of Christ, there was a group of people, a dynasty, a group of people called the Seleucid people who believed in exporting their gods. And it's during this time frame that uh, religious synchronization was used. And what that means is this. They purported that a person could not conquer a people until you had conquered their gods. All right? Couldn't conquer a people until you had conquered their gods. And the ways in which they would, quote unquote, conquer their gods is by this. They would keep certain forms and certain attributes of their gods, but they would change their names. All right? Keep certain forms and attributes of it, but change their names. And so what happened was then, between these testaments, entered a man under the Seleucid kingdom by the name, you might remember this name because we had fun saying it, Antiochus Epiphanes was his name. He entered in. His name meant this. This is important. His name meant this. God manifest. God manifest. He was a horde man. He was a horde man. He went into Solomon's temple and he desecrated the temple of the Jews by slaughtering a pig there on their altar. And then he had all of those of his Seleucid kingdom come in and they installed idols of Antiochus here, there, and everywhere around. And they forced then the Jews to worship these idols. And so Antiochus Epiphanes then took away their prayer books and their prayer shawls, the Torah scrolls, any of those things, that type of stuff, he basically just outlawed. He even outlawed olive oil because by the anointing of the oil were things sanctified or set apart for the master's use, right? There wouldn't be anything sacred without the oil, all right? And so they thought, uh, Antiochus and the Seleucids, they thought if we can just get the anointing from them and so on and so forth, their religion will be gone. There'll be nothing sacred. Everything that is sanctified will, and set apart, it'll be mixed and muddled. It'll no longer be there. So it's in this setting, listen, it's in this setting of the Feast of Dedication or the Festival of Lights that Jesus enters in during the commemoration 
of this great event that happened between the two testaments. And they're wanting to know, are you the Christ? Are you the anointed one? Are you the anointing? Let me say it like this. Are you the oil or not in this setting? Now, concerning the Feast of Dedication, while the Seleucids and those were warring strong against the Jews and Antiochus Epiphanes was there leading all this up, then there came, if you will, an insurrection of the people against him, one by the name of Judah Maccabees. As a matter of fact, if you have a Bible that has the Apocrypha and other things in it, you'll find the books of Maccabees in there. Amen. It's not uh, part of the canon of Scripture, but it is historical. Very much so historical. And so Judah Maccabees came and he got together a group of people called the Maccabees, if you will, and went against the Seleucid people and they fought against them and they overcame them. And after they overcame them, the very first thing that they did was to clean up the temple that had been desecrated. Clean up the temple and get it back in good working order. And they wanted it in working order and they needed some oil in order to put in the, uh, the lampstand, all right? But here's what we got to understand. Under Antiochus Epiphanes, the oil was outlawed, all right? And there's more to that story, and we could spend talking about that, but it's not serving my purpose right now, okay? The oil was outlawed, all right? 160 years before the birth of Christ, Antiochus comes in bearing the name God Manifest, and he outlawed the oil that they would typically use. But now during this festival of the Feast of Dedication or the Feast of Lights, Jesus shows up as the Christ, the anointed, the oil, and he is more certainly and specifically God manifest. Amen? So, I mean, did not John tell us in the first chapter of our study here that the only begotten which is in the bosom of the Father, he, the Bible says, shall declare him. In other words, he shall reveal God. Huh? The Son shall reveal God. Or stated even more plainly in the Amplified that the Son, he shall bring him out where he can be seen. Woo! Because up to this moment in time, God's been that spirit. That no man has seen. No man has seen God at any time. But whenever Christ came, the true God manifest. Amen. Whenever the true God manifest came, he was revealing to mankind the, the father of glory that no eye had ever seen. No hands had ever felt or touched. But he was seen in the man, Christ Jesus, because we know God was manifest in the flesh. The Jews wanted to know then, as he's walking in this arena during the feast of dedication, they want to know if he's the Christ. They want to know if he's the anointed one, if he's that oil. And he tells them this in verse 30 with a very plain short sentence, if you will. He said, I and my father are one. Jesus is saying that. You know who that is? The son. Mm -hmm. Jesus the Son says the Son and the Father are one God manifests now folks the reason why this is so important because you can say all day long that Jesus is God alright and that the Father is God and that the Holy Ghost is God but that doesn't swim anywhere with the Trinitarian doctrine because they believe that as well but what they have a problem with is that the Son is the Father or that the Father is the Holy Ghost, or that the Holy Ghost is the Son. So whenever we come and we say, who was Jesus Christ concerning the Godhead? Well, he was the Son. Well, then I have record of, in John chapter number 10 and verse number 30, the Son saying he, the Son, and the Father are one. Right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That changes everything concerning that type of mindset. That changes everything. Jesus says that he told them. This is what even look at this. He says whenever they ask him that, amen, and he conveys to them that I am my father and one, he goes on and tells them, he says, I have, this isn't the first time we talked about this, guys. You know, it's kind of like where he's coming from. This ain't the first time we've talked about this. I've told you this. More importantly, or not maybe more importantly, but also I've, I've showed you this. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I've given you my word, but I've also given you works. I've told you by my words who I am, but I've also shown you by my works who I am. 
You want to know if I'm the Messiah. He said, both my words and my works that I have done among you have been testifying to you that I am your Messiah. He says, but you're not believing my word and neither are you believing my works. You're not believing me on either of these points. And he says, here is the real purpose and reason. Because you didn't believe, he says, you are not my sheep. Because you didn't, because you didn't believe my words, you are not my sheep. You don't hear me, you don't follow me. Let's even step it back a little bit. If you don't believe me, you don't hear me, you don't follow me. That's not just a prescription for Jesus' day. That's a prescription for today. If you don't believe him, you will not listen to him and you will not follow him. Amen. In other words, had you accepted my words, had you accepted my works, then you would have been mine. You would have been my sheep. But the moment that you reject my words and the moment that you reject my works, all you've done is proven you're not mine. See, there, there are three different words for the word one in John 10 and verse number 30. There are three different Greek words for the word one there. But here, the word that is used for one, and I know this is a little deep language thing here, but here the word for one in the Greek is the word hen. It's pronounced hen. And again, this is, I know, I'm sorry, but... It's used in the, what's known in the Greek as the neuter sense. But it also shows that it is, in the Greek language, emphatic. Now, what that means to you and I is this. Hen, that Greek word means alone. But since it is in the emphatic use, the emphatic use of hen literally translates in verse 30 as such. I and my father are one and the same. I and my father are one and the same. No wonder he could say, if you've seen me. No wonder the works that he does resembles the works that God did. Oh, Jesus, someone say amen. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Uh, Landon, my children can say that my father is pastor. Or they can say that Paul McGee is pastor. Either way is correct. Hmm? Either way they would choose to form it is correct. Because in both instances, they are talking about one person with one name. And the father isn't the name. They're speaking about one person with one name, but he has varied functions, varied operations, varied relationships as it relates to them. I'm both their father and their pastor. But I am Paul McGee by name, and I, do, I don't have this dichotomy of image or form or likeness. It is what it is. If you've seen Mariah's pastor, you've seen her father. Hallelujah. And it's more than just, it's more than just the pastor is Paul McGee. And my father is Paul McGee, but it's my pastor is my father. Or the pastor is the father. You get what I'm getting at here? God was manifest in the flesh. This first, first Timothy 3.16, just throw it up there just for good measure. I know I don't have it in your scriptures and stuff and messing y'all up. That's all right. You should have been with me this past weekend. You need to call Michigan and ask them. <laughs> Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God, this is important. It's all important. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. That's where we get the terminology, son of man. God was manifest in the flesh. He, though, was justified in the spirit. That's where you get the son of God terminology. He's manifested in the flesh, son of man. He's justified in the spirit, son of God. Oh, someone say amen. Amen. We call his name Jesus. <laughs> 
His office is Christ, the anointed one. He's the true God manifest. <laughs> he hasn't outlawed the oil. <laughs> he is the oil by which everything is sanctified and set apart and made sacred and holy. Be holy for I am holy. Who said that? The God of the Old Testament. But Jesus as the oil shows up and he starts making things holy by his spirit and his power. It's not a different person of the Old Testament, a different person. No, no, no. That spirit of the Old Testament became the person Jesus Christ of the New Testament. Woo! And he's making things holy and sanctified and sacred. I hope you never get old of us talking about the oneness of God. John 10, 31. This is where I should have stopped earlier at verse 30. But I've read some of that, so we talked about them throwing stones and things of that nature. I'll pick back up then in verse number 37. If I do not the works of my Father, Jesus says, believe me not. Yeah, that's right. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. That's a great, that's a great statement. That the, Father, that the Father is in me and I in him. Sounds like an impossibility. That the Father is in me and I in him. You know, whenever God manifested himself in the flesh as the man Christ Jesus, that all the essence and everything that God was, was in Jesus. But God didn't cease being everywhere else. Just follow me here for a moment. The best way, and I've, I've explained this before, but the best way I can explain it is this. If I go out into the middle of the ocean and I have my little sand pail, here's the little pastor going out on the beach. In his pants and t-shirt. I got my little pail. And I go out there in the middle of the big blue ocean. And I dip down and I grab some ocean water in my pail. But my pail is still sitting in the ocean. The ocean is in the pail, but the pail is still in the ocean. If you were to take... A, a, a test of the water that's in the pail and a test of the water outside the pail, you come up with the same composition. But the pail is in the ocean and yet the ocean is in the pail. When Jesus Christ came in the form of a man, God, to wit that God was in Christ, God was in that man. But that man was still in this spiritual thing, amen, called God that is omnipresent, that ascends into heaven and thou art there and hell, behold, he is there. The uttermost parts of the sea, he's there. Amen. And send for Jesus to say that the Father is in me and yet I am in the Father. Yep. That pretty well sums it up. That pretty, that pretty well sums it up. So they took stones again to attempt to stone him. Oh, mercy. Let's go. And this, this is what's so mind-boggling to me. Jesus asked them, what work? That's what he asked. What work are you stoning me for? Now, you think about the works. Man, the signs, miracles, blah, blah, blah. What work are you stoning me for? Say, it's not a work. It's the word. You blasphemed because Jesus, being a man, <laughs> you're making yourself God. Now, folks, that's what our dear old guy between the Testaments and Tychicus Epiphanes was trying to do. Being a man, he was trying to make himself God. Right? Because he's the meaning of name God manifest, and he was forcing the people to worship but Jesus, again, I say this all, they got it backwards. Jesus was God who made himself a fleshly human being and dwelt among them as a man. So they say he was a man trying to make himself a God when in reality he was a God. Whew. 
He was the God who made himself a man. And he tells them, he says, even in, in your law, he says there's times that you have called mere men gods. The law is called mere men gods. And the reason why is because they were mediating on God's behalf. They were standing in the gap for God. They were mediating between God and between man. And so you have called even mere men, you have called them gods because of that mediation role that they played. For instance, Exodus chapter number 7 and verse number 1, we see this with the man Moses and his brother Aaron and Pharaoh and the children of Israel. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto Moses, see, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Amen. And the reason why he says that, because the will and the purpose for the children of Israel was made known to Pharaoh through Moses. God didn't have a direct interaction with Pharaoh. It came through Moses. And so God's saying, Moses, you're going to be like God to Pharaoh because he's going to hear my voice through you. Aaron's going to be your prophet. Look at it, Exodus 4 and verse 16. And he shall be thy spokesman. This is God speaking to Moses. And he, the he's speaking about is Aaron. Aaron shall be your spokesperson. Because remember, Moses like, I'm a man slow of speech. I can't speak very well. When Aaron's coming out, he's saying, there's your man right there. He will be your mouthpiece. He will be your spokesperson. I'm going to speak to you. You speak to Aaron. Aaron will speak to the people. Or sometimes you speak. You know, it's just, this is the way it's going to work. And so he says, he shall be your spokesperson. Spokesman, I want to say person. Unto the people and he shall be even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth Moses Aaron's going to be your mouth and that shall be to him instead of God in other words I'm not speaking to Aaron for Aaron to speak I'm speaking to you so you to convey to Aaron so just like you're going to be as though a mediator unto Pharaoh because I'm going to speak to you and you're going to speak to him you're going to be a mediator even to Aaron because I'm not speaking directly to him I'm going to speak to you and then to him so these people are going to be like God unto you And so what Jesus is bringing up here in the New Testament, he said, you had even mere men that you labeled and spoke to as God because, or gods, because they were mediating on behalf of me, of the true God. He said, if mere men could have been spoken of as God, then how much more can me, Jesus Christ, be called the Son of? I mean, if mere men were called that because of mediation, how much more should I? Because the works that I do, the Father did. Huh? The words that I say are His words. Am I not mediating? Huh? Am I not mediating? And Jesus told them, He said, if you can't, if you can't take me at my word, He said, then you need to consider my works again, because His works were indicative. And we've said this a thousand times. Let me just hit the nail over and over. The works were indicative, a man of God. Isaiah 35, you read it again. Israel, your God's going to come and your God is going to save you. The blind eyes are going to be opened. The lame is going to leap. That is your God that's coming to save you. Jesus comes, blind eyes are open, the lame is leaping, the light bulb should have been going off in somebody's head that their God had arrived, that God manifest, that their God had arrived to save them. And so that's why Jesus is saying, if you can't take my word for it, then consider my works. Because my works are indicative that I'm God. Uh-huh. That's come to save you. My works, amen, are proof that I and my Father are one. Huh? My works are proof that the Father is in me and I in Him. It's proof. Going on, verse 39. We'll wrap it up. We got this. We got this. Oh, yeah. Therefore, verse 39, they sought again to take Him. Stand with me. I'm serious. We'll bring her in. There's not much I got to say about these last four verses here. Therefore, they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. Phew. Several times. And went away again. This is interesting. Speaking of Jesus. And went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man, speaking of Jesus Christ, were true. And many believed on him there. This is interesting. Maybe nobody else. That's okay. Considering all these accusations now that's been coming upon Jesus, 
He's blaspheming, they're saying. He's got a devil and blah, blah. We're going to take him. Look at this. All these, it's getting hot for Jesus again, once again. Here's what he does. He goes back to the place where John first baptized. Let me even say it like this. He goes back to the place where he was baptized. He went back to the place where the voice from heaven spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He went back to the place where John the Baptist said, then when they questioned him, why are you baptizing? He said, I'm baptizing because I've been told that whoever I baptize and there's a dove that comes down and lights upon it. That individual right there is the son of God and it will be manifest to all Israel. That he is when that happens. Jesus says, all this accusation going on, I'm going back to where baptism was. I'm going back to where I heard where the voice from heaven said, this is is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm going back to the place where it was manifest to Israel that I was the son of God. If they... If, if they don't, if they can't get my word, if they can't get my work, if they can't get all that, let me just go back where it all started. Where the manifestation that ever took place for Israel, that John ever testified that's what its purpose was for. And maybe if I get back there, and the Bible said as he was there, people began to talk again about what John spoke. And the Bible says that they, he spoke rightly about that man. And in that place, what happens? Many people believed. Because something that happened for them, they understood Jesus Christ being God manifest in that moment. And it was from the very beginning of his baptism going forward. He was trying and trying and trying to convey that. Some would reject. Some would regard it. Those that would regard it, they would hear his voice. They would follow him. They would be his. But those who did not are not of his foe. Amen. It is important that we know who he is. Listen, it is important that we know who he is. Not not just saying Jesus Christ, but understanding who he is, that he is God manifest in the flesh. I, I preach this and preach this. We preach it and teach it. My hope is that some days you'll truly grasp it because it is vitally important. Hmm? It's vitally important. Everything else is based upon that. Everything else. It is. Back to the hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It's all based there. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart. It all starts way back there. It's important. The oneness of God and who he is is vital. Amen. To us and to our salvation experience. Our baptism. Huh? How we pray. For sickness and disease. Amen. God manifest. Hallelujah. We'll pray here tonight. Amen. Before we go, just real quickly. Again, come the first, come the first um, Wednesday of June. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.